It is that time of year, as Rich has said. Uh, believe it or not, uh, we're just some 20 days out. And I know it's a little hard to believe, especially given some of the weather we've had here recently. Uh, you know, for me, between raking leaves this week and having a bonfire and roasting marshmallows, it's been a little bit hard to get into that Christmas mode, but uh, it is here. And uh, as well as uh, what Rich said, we're starting a new Christmas series today entitled Carols. And as I was thinking about this series and thinking about the Christmas carols in general, I, I, I begin to realize that there really is nothing quite like them. They, they really are culturally very unique. And what I mean by that is, is that they're songs that are known and loved and have been by Christians for centuries. However, though, they are also very familiar and meaningful uh, and even enjoyed by non-Christians as well. And we see them in popular movies. Uh, They're recorded on Christmas albums every year, and many of those by non-Christian artists. Um, We, uh, as Nick mentioned in his uh, call to worship, we hear them in the department stores and the malls. Um, We hear them on the radio. And yet, these songs are filled with rich, biblical, and theological language and imagery. These songs, we find in them the amazing story of the incarnation of the Son of God. The story of God coming into our world and putting on human flesh. And again, it's, it's amazing, it's unique, because every year at this time, we have people proclaiming about, humming, singing about things that they don't even necessarily believe. And as I was thinking about it, really the only thing that I think kind of comes close uh, to this culturally in America, song-wise, is how we have embraced the song Amazing Grace. Uh, it, too, is kind of this cultural phenomenon. It's just sung at you know, public events, and people just kind of embrace it. And it's, it's amazing because this is the very heart of both Amazing Grace and the carols are the heart of our Christian message. And I think what it shows is that that uh, even though America has become primarily a, a predominantly secular society, for, for many Americans, there, there are these moments and times throughout the year where it's evident that our society, at some level, still embraces and clings to the Christian message. And yes, maybe it's just nostalgia at this point. It's familiar. It, it makes us feel good. It, it reminds them of grandma. But even so... I think it points to a longing in people, in our society, the this, this sense in which just maybe, just maybe that baby in a manger really was significant. Just maybe this, this crazy wild story, maybe it actually is true. And again, these, these songs, they really are unique. They're special. But, but one of the problems with them, as I've already mentioned, is that they are very familiar to us. And the reason that that is a problem is because we can sing them without, uh, we can sing them very easily without any appreciation or even any acknowledgement of what we're singing about. In other words, they're, they're very easy for us to sing while being an autopilot. We can sing them without realizing the magnitude of what they are saying. And as Christians, we can sing them and enjoy them without uh, realizing that these are hymns and songs of worship. As Nick said, these are, these are songs that, that declare the beauty and the truth of what we believe. And yet, when was the last time we stopped and reflected on their words? When was the last time we sang one as an act of worship where our head and our heart was engaged and was directed towards the Lord? Now, maybe for some of you, that, 
happens every time you sing one. Like five minutes ago when we were singing, O Come, all you faithful, you were just there. And it was uh, an act of worship. But I know for me that if I'm not careful, when, when things are familiar, I can very easily check out and I can uh, move into that place where I'm just going through the motions. And so what we want to do over these next few weeks is to uh, take a fresh look at these familiar songs. And to do that, we want to look at the history behind them, uh, things like who wrote them, when were they written, uh, again, things like that. Um, and as well, though, we want to dig in and look at the theology and really see what it is that these songs are talking about and, and what it is that they can teach us about who Jesus is and why Christmas is worth celebrating. And really, our, our hope is, is that all of us will grow in our understanding and our appreciation of these songs and what it is that they communicate. But even more than that, our hope is, is that all of us will be moved into greater love and affection and worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, before we dive into this first one, we're going to look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, let me open us up with a word of prayer. Father, we do, again, just uh, invite uh, your presence and your power through the Holy Spirit here now. We ask that he would come and he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. He'd give us hearts to know and to, to I, I just pray, Lord, that this, uh, you know, we, we all enjoy Christmas. It's a great time to celebrate. But I just pray that we would not, uh, we would not miss what this is really all about. God, we would not miss the, the magnitude and the glory and the beauty of what it is you did uh, by sending your son. And so we just, again, pray for ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's first look at some of the story and the history behind this song. And uh, it all began in 1739 when a guy by the name of Charles Wesley wrote down the words of this great hymn. And, and amazingly enough, he wrote this just one year after becoming uh, a believer. And when you think about that, it's like, wow, like that's that's setting the bar pretty high. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but um, one year after my conversion, I was not writing such uh, theologically rich and beautiful songs. It, you know, for me, it took at least three or four years before I was able to do that. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, my, my musical talent consists of being able to turn the radio knob on. But, uh, but Charles did. Uh, in fact, he was an amazing hymn writer. Uh, we're told by historians that in his life, he wrote over 6,500 different songs. And, and many of them are, are we still sing today and we're familiar with. Um, some of his more famous ones were, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Christ the Lord is risen today. And then, and then another carol that we actually sang last Sunday is, Come thou long expected Jesus. But the thing that's so fascinating about this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is that it was actually messed with. Uh, and it was messed with by one of his uh, friends, the famous evangelist, George Whitfield. And uh, I, I'm not sure what this artist was thinking, but I hope he does not look this bad. I mean, uh, those are some some cross, you know, crossed eyes there. Maybe he had that. I don't know. But poor guy. Um, in fact, Whitfield here, uh, he messed with uh, even the opening line of the song. Uh, in fact, Charles' original uh, lyric was this. Hark how all the welkin rings glory to the king of kings. Now, you may be sitting there wondering, what, what in the world is a welkin? What, what, what does that mean? Uh, well, I didn't know what it was either, so I had to look it up. And, and apparently, it's an old English word, which means the vault of heaven, or the sky, or the, the firmament. 
And yet his buddy old George came along. He's like, yeah, it's not working. Let's let's switch it up. How about Hark the Herald Angel sings glory to the newborn king. And uh, apparently, according to her histor- historians, uh, Wesley was not a fan of someone messing with his song. And in fact, even though Whitfield's version became the popular one, even in their day, uh, we're told that Wesley refused to sing uh, the song with the changes. And it even created a little bit of riff in their friendship. And uh, so that's some of the, the, the history behind the actual lyrics. Um, and I'm actually grateful that Whitfield made the changes because uh, it makes the song, I think, a little bit easier to sing. But, but funny enough... Uh, because of his changes to the opening line, uh, many of us assume that the angels were singing there in Luke 2. But, but when you look at the text, it actually it doesn't say that necessarily. In Luke 2.13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, it's possible they did sing that line, but, but it, it does say that they were praising God. But they might have also just spoke that and just said it. Uh, but again, either way, we'll just go with it and enjoy Whitfield's changes. And we'll ask the Lord uh, when we see him um, which, what actually happened. And so, that, again, that's some of the history behind the, the lyrics of the song. Um, as far as the, the music or the, the tune of it, uh, what happened there was uh, Wesley insisted that it be sung in kind of a slow and somber uh, rhythm. Um, but about a hundred years later in 1840, a composer by the name of Felix Mendelssohn, um, he wrote a piece of music to commemorate or to celebrate, wait for it, the invention of the printing press. And so this guy was like, let's celebrate the printing press. Um, and so he wrote a piece of music to it. And then about 15 years after that, a guy named William Cummings, he came along and what he did is he took Wesley and Whitfield's lyrics and he took Mendelssohn's music and he combined them and voila, now we have the Heart the Herald Angels sing that we're all familiar with. And so again, this song has had quite a journey from when it was originally written until today and that's just some of the background and the history behind it. But, but let's move on now and let's dig into this song and actually look at the lyrics And see what it is that they can teach us about the Christmas story. And so to do that, I just want to outline it or break it down like this. Two things that this carol teaches us. Number one, it teaches us the message of Christmas. And then number two, it does teach us uh, our response to this message. Or, Or in other words, it teaches us how we should respond after hearing this good news, this message of Christmas. And so, starting with number one. What message or what news is communicated through this carol? Well, when you look at this carol and you think about what's being communicated, you really see that that it really highlights three uh, main areas as far as the message. And that is, uh, in relation to Jesus, it focuses on his birth, his nature, and his work. So, again, his birth, his nature, and his work. And so, looking at his birth... We see that in the opening lines of the song, uh, we're told that some angels are singing about and ascribing glory to the birth of a new king. As well, later on in the first stanza, it says, Christ is born in Bethlehem. And so clearly, a major part of this message, this news, uh, centers around the birth of a baby who on the one hand is a king and who on the other hand is the Christ or the Messiah. And so what you have is this image of being painted of these angels uh, sharing this news with someone. 
And again, they may or may not have been singing that news, but uh, let's look at the passage in a little more detail of where this is described. And so uh, if you want to open a Bible to Luke 2, uh, we'll start in verse 8. And to set up the context here, the first seven verses of Luke 2 is the story of Jesus's actual birth. And so picking it up in verse 8, we read this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, so through this text here, through this passage, we find out that the audience that the angels are are proclaiming this message to uh, is a group of shepherds. And in verse 9, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds to tell them that he has some pretty great news for them. And that actually this news is not just for them, that it's for everybody. And and, and the news is this, that a child has been born in the city of David, uh, which of course is the city of Bethlehem. And that this child is the the savior of the world. He's the, the long anticipated Christ. And again, we're told both in Luke and in the carol that this baby, this Christ, was born in the city of Bethlehem. And if you were here last week when Pastor Mike shared, uh, one of the things he pointed out in his message is that, that Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies from the Old Testament in his life. And in this carol around Jesus' birth, we see a few of them mentioned. Uh, for example, this, this fact that he was born in the city of Bethlehem was prophesied uh, in Micah 5.2. And so if you want to write that down, we're not going to be able to look it up. But, but that's one of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Um, now, this Luke passage doesn't necessarily say that, that Jesus was a king. But if we turn back to Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, we see in there the story of, of this group of wise men who, who travel to Jerusalem And and the reason they went there is because they went looking for this new king of the Jews. And we're told that they they go to Jerusalem and they ask King Herod. They say, "Uh, where is this new king that's just been born? And he's like, wait, what are you talking about? There's a king? I thought I was the king, you know. And and so, again, um, evidently, or not evidently, clearly Jesus is both Christ. He's the Messiah, but he's also a king. Now, in the second stanza, we learn some more information about uh, the details of his birth. Uh, it says this, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. And so let's deal with the second half of that sentence first. So according to this carol, the baby that has just been born is the offspring of a virgin's womb. Now, normally that sentence would be uh, incoherent or illogical uh, since virgins can't get pregnant. But according to the scriptures, uh, that is exactly what happened. In fact, uh, not only did it happen, but it too was also promised and prophesied about in the Old Testament. And we see that in Isaiah seven fourteen, which says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Emmanuel. Now we'll get to that word Emmanuel in a moment, but what I want you just to see here is that here we have a book, uh, the book of Isaiah, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and yet in it we're told that a virgin will give birth to a son. And again, you have to try to enter into that. Nothing like this had ever taken place before. Uh, There was no precedent for virgins having babies. I mean, uh, that would be like me saying to you, you know, guys, when you wake up tomorrow and you look outside, the sun is actually going to be purple. There's just going to be purple rays everywhere. And and I know that that's never happened before, but just just trust me, that's going to happen. You'd be like, I don't know about that. That's not sounding right. I I don't think that that's going to happen. And yet, when we turn to the first chapter of the New Testament, that is exactly what we're told Uh, is what happened. Again, Matthew 1, verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, uh, in other words, before they were intimate, um, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall come and conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the virgin, she gives birth to a son, and she is able to do that because the child in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, apparently her Uh, future husband here, Joseph, was really struggling to buy that story. And so God had to send an angel in a dream to set him straight. So again, part of this message of the Christmas story is that there was a baby born and that this baby comes from the offspring of a virgin's womb. Now let's deal with the first part of that, uh, that phrase we looked at, which says this, late in time, behold him come. Now, what is that getting at? Well, uh, it could be referring to a couple different things. It could be referring to the fact that that the prophets prophesied about a Messiah coming for hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus actually came. And so in human time, that that took a long time. Yet according to Galatians 4.4, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And so Jesus's birth may have seemed late from our perspective, but from God's perspective, it was the perfect time. It was the fullness of time. And so it could be referring to that, or it could just simply be referring to the fact that that Jesus's birth marks the last days. And we see that communicated in in Hebrews uh, 1 verse 1, which says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so late in time could just be referring to the fact that that we're in the last days now that Jesus has come. And I think Wesley could have had either one of those in mind when he wrote uh, that part of the song. And so, again, these are all parts and details of the message. They're the details of his birth. But let's move on to the, the second part of the message. And that is the nature 
the nature of the one who was born. In other words, uh, who is this Jesus and what is he like? Well, in the second stanza of the carol, we get all kinds of information about him. Uh, The first line goes like this. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. And so this baby, this Christ, the one born, one of the things we find out about him is that he is adored by all of heaven. And certainly when you open this book up and begin to read it, you will see that that is absolutely true. Uh, I mean, I don't I know some of you were here on Friday night. We had a a culture and theology where we were looking at uh, some eschatology things in relation to, to to the end times. And we were all over the book of Revelation. And one of the things you see in there is that over and over again, Jesus is is worshiped and adored and glorified in heaven. As well, when you go to a book like Philippians and Philippians 2, we're told that that at his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so again, this Christ, he is adored by all of heaven. But what else does it say? It says that he is the everlasting Lord. So this baby, this Christ, even though he was born into the world uh, at some point, unlike you and me, his birth did not mark his beginning. It may have been the moment that he put on human flesh, but it was not his beginning. No, you see, he existed well before that. In fact, he has always existed because he is everlasting. And so did Wesley make that up or is that what the Bible teaches? Well, uh, again, there's multiple passages that refer to this, but but one is John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Later on in verse 14 of that chapter, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so this being, this one being described as the word in John, we are told was always with God. And yet at some point came and put on human flesh and began to dwell with men. Uh, another verse we see that refers to his, his uh, eternalness, his everlastingness, is Colossians 1.17. It says of Jesus that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. As well in Revelation 22.13, Jesus says of himself, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so all of these uh, point to that this being, this baby, the one who was born 2,000 years ago, the one who is adored by all of heaven, he is eternal. He has always existed. That this, this thing that we're doing, this celebration of his birth, that that was not his beginning. And so what else do we learn about his nature? Well, if we skip down in the carol, we would see this line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And so this is fascinating. The reason that the baby adored by all of heaven, the reason that he is adored by all of heaven And the reason uh, that he is pre-existent, that he's eternal, is because this baby isn't just a baby. In fact, this baby is God in human flesh. 
This baby in a manger born in Bethlehem is actually the incarnation of God. Maybe you've heard that word uh, around this Christmas season. It's an easy word to define, but it is a mind blowing concept to understand. The word just simply means to make flesh. But the fact that God himself, the fact that God put on human flesh and, and, and came to this earth and dwelt among us is un. Believable, And yet that's exactly what uh, the word Emmanuel means. It simply means God with us. He's here with us. He came to be with us. Again, if we just went back to that John 1 passage, that's what it says. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so what this means is this, that this Jesus Again, this one born 2,000 years ago, he was not just a man, but rather he was the God man. He was 100% man and he was 100% God coming into one being, one person. And so this is what this carol teaches us about his nature. But let's finish now uh, as we look at this message of this song by seeing what it teaches us about Jesus's work. In other words, why was he born in the first place? Uh, I came across this quote this week by a pastor named Doug Wilson, and, and I think it really nails this. He said this. He said, we are accustomed as Christians to say that Jesus is the reason for the season. And that is very true. But we have to understand that fundamentally sin is the reason for the season. And what Wilson meant by that was, yes, Jesus is the reason we celebrate Christmas. But let's also not forget why he had to come. You see, he had to come because your sin and my sin, because we through sin ruined uh, everything. We uh, messed things up because of that. We had now separation between God and man. We brought all kinds of chaos and violence and confusion into the world as well. A consequence of our sin is now that that there is death. And so because of that, Wilson is right. The reason for the season, the reason why Jesus had to be born is because of your sin and because of my sin. And so what did Jesus do in response to our mess? Well, if we go to the first stanza of the song, we're told this peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled. So part of Jesus's work was to bring peace and mercy into our world. In fact, later on in the first stanza, it says that that this Jesus is the heaven born Prince of Peace. That title, Prince of Peace, comes right out of Isaiah 9, which also predicts his birth. And so part of Jesus's work and mission is to bring peace and mercy into our broken world, into a world that desperately needs peace and needs mercy. As well there, it says there that that because of him, God and sinners are now reconciled or can be reconciled. And so if sin brought separation between us and our creator, Jesus came and was born so that we could be reconciled and brought back together again uh, with God. And that's exactly what we find in 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
And so he reconciles us by not counting our sins or our trespasses against us. But but how is he able to do that? How is he able to to forgive or to not count our sins against us? Well, if you look at verse 21 of that passage, it says this for our sake, for your sake, for my sake. God, the father made Jesus, made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that we could become in him the righteousness of God. And so Jesus, as part of his mission, his work was to reconcile us. But to do that, he had to take our sin and we had to get his righteousness. And so because of that, because that happened, Wesley is right. God and sinners can be reconciled. What else does the carol say about Jesus's work? Well, if we skip down to the third stanza in the song, we see all kinds of things. Uh, There's a line that says this light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings mild he lays his glory by born that man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth and so part of this mission this reason jesus was born is so that he could bring light and life to people And there are dozens and dozens of verses that speak to both of these realities, the the light that Jesus brought, the life that he that is in him. Uh, But in John 8, 12, we're told this. Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, Later on in that stanza, the phrase risen with healing in his wings, um, it actually, along with the the saying, uh, hailed the son of righteousness. Uh, These are a direct quote from Malachi 4.2, which is some of the last words in the Old Testament. And it says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And so Jesus, the son of righteousness, the S. You in son in his birth, he brings light into the world and he also brings healing. He makes healing possible. We see throughout Jesus's life and ministry that a healing is a key component of what he came to do. And I believe one that he is still doing today. And even if in this life you don't find a full physical or emotional uh, healing, When he returns or when you die, when you see him, you will one day be wholly and totally healed. As well, it says there that mild he lays his glory by. What is that talking about? Well, I think that's referring to the fact that as we're told in Philippians 2, that that Jesus in coming to the earth and in putting on human flesh to do that, he had to humble himself. He had to empty himself when he took on human flesh. That in order for for the son of God to come to earth and to become a man, he had to give up for a time the glory that he had in heaven. And so mild he lays his glory by. And then lastly, we come to these last three phrases, which are my favorite part of the carol, which is this. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. You see, Jesus was born so that he could defeat death and overcome it. He was born so that when you and I die, that we can have the hope that one day we will be raised up again. And we see this message, this this core tenet of our faith all throughout the scriptures. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about how death is swallowed up in Jesus's victory. That because of Jesus's death and resurrection, you and I can have hope that we one day will have a future resurrection. And then it says born uh, to give them second birth that we see communicated in John chapter three, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about his need to be born again. As well, Peter in first Peter one says that you and I have been born again to a living hope. And so it's really pretty amazing when you step back from this carol. It's a it's a little bit like a little systematic theology. I mean, it's just laying out the core truths of our faith and it's pulling from different parts of Scripture. But in it, you really see it shows us the message of Christmas. And it does that by showing us the details of his birth, by showing us the nature of the one who was born. And it does it by finally showing us the work that he came to do, the the reason he was born. And so in closing, I just want to ask one more question. What does this carol teach us about how you and I should respond to this amazing news, this amazing message? And actually, Nick and Kim, you can go ahead and come on up now. So how are we to respond? Well, first, it tells us in the carol that we are to hark. Now, that word hark simply means listen, pay attention. And so in response to this message, in response to the good news of this carol, we need to stop and to listen to what the angel said that day. You and I need to slow down and consider and contemplate the claims that are made by the Christmas message. You see, there might be some of you here this morning. You've sang this song for years. You've heard the message of Christmas over and over again, and yet you have not stopped and truly listened. You see, guys, the reality is this story is either true or it's not. In other words, literally, a baby was born 2000 years ago in the city of Bethlehem in Israel. Either that happened and it was the son of God or it didn't. And a claim of that magnitude demands that you and I stop and listen. And it demands that we make a decision based on it. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then I just want to challenge you to not let another Christmas season go by where you don't stop and listen to the claims of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And then finally make a decision based on that. Are you going to follow him or not? And so that's our first response. We need to to hark, to listen. The, the second response we see in the carol is just simply this. If this message is true, if this actually is good news, then our only appropriate response is this. Joyful, all the nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim that Christ is born in Bethlehem. In other words, guys, if this is true, then this is good news for all the nations. This is good news for everybody, regardless of of race and gender. This is the good news. And because of that, we need to join up with the rest of the nations and join even in with the the angels, with the heavens and declare who Jesus is and to worship him in light of who he is. And so by way of application, we're going to do that right now. You're going to have an opportunity to join in with the angels, to sing the words of this carol. And I hope that as you do, you will be able to worship him in light of of his glory and in light of who he is. And so won't you stand now as we sing this wonderful song?